Hey guys, how's it going? This is Will, and I am having a special episode of a conversation about dot, dot, dot. And, you know, I always ask people to join the conversation, and I just wanted to do something a little bit different today. And so I wanted to be able to share that with you, and I hope that you will not only hear this, but more importantly, that you'll appreciate it, and that you will be able to take this with you, but it'll inspire you a little bit. Uh, I've never actually read this speech in full, so that said, uh, I hope not to slaughter it too much <laughs> as I do, but I feel like it's something we need to hear because I feel like it's something that we need in our country today. I have a dream speech written, copywritten in 1963 by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is a speech that he did at the March on Washington. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for, for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree is a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to the end of the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still badly crippled by the madness of segregation, by the manacles of segregation, and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of the vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. So we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the artifacts of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which Every American was the fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check. A check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check. A check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquil, tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desperate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation 
from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content to will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted her citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright days of justice emerge. And that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the worn threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to distrust all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied with our destiny. They have come to realize that their freedom is inexplicably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And, we, and as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We will never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels on the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from small, a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their adulthood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and the Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied. And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful of, this, of some, uh, that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulation. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearthed suffering is unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and the ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, 
Though, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day in Alabama with this vicious racist, with its government having their, having, with their governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain and crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nations into a beautiful symmetry, symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that this, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day when all God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the prestigious hilltops of, the, of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring in the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring. When we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring in every city, in every hamlet, every state, in every city, we'll be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews, Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual. Free at last, free at last. Great God Almighty, we are free at last. Two questions, real quick thoughts. Question one, 
Are we living in the dream or the reality of the dream that Dr. King talked about? The second question, if we're not, how do you plan on bringing the dream to reality? Thank you guys for listening.